welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. And I'm Kristen Chase, and we're the founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, we are talking with Eve Rodsky about balancing the division of family duties in your household, something that seems to have gotten even more out of whack, thanks to, yes, the pandemic, right, Liz? Oh, that, yes, the pandemic. That's caused some changes in the world. And of course, we're going to close out our show with our cool picks of the week. So first, let's tell you a little bit more about our guest. Eve Rodsky is working to change society one relationship at a time by coming up with a 21st century solution to an old problem we're all familiar with, women shouldering the brunt of child rearing and domestic life responsibilities, regardless of whether they also work outside the home. Yeah. Yes, we know a lot about this. And with a background in economics and anthropology and having worked with hundreds of families over a decade in family mediation strategy and organizational management, she realized that she could put all these skills together to help couples seeking more balance, efficiency, and peace in their homes. So she penned the book Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live, which became a New York Times bestseller. In it, she shares a life management system designed to help couples rebalance all of the work it takes to run a home and reimagine their relationship, time, and purpose, which is what we're going to talk about today. So welcome, Eve. We're so glad to have you. You guys have great radio voices. I just want to say that. (laughs) Why, thank you. Okay, this is so timely. I read the book when it first came out. I felt like it was super groundbreaking then, but I feel like now, holy cow, everyone's talking about the mental load. I mean, we're seeing articles everywhere. So just give us the broad strokes, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty, just like what the book is about, like elevator pitch or just broad strokes about it. It's funny you say that because it actually was hard to convince publishers that Mm. our labor force participation uh, rates were very precarious. Uh, One pandemic away from losing 35 years of progress. But, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way, I think this has been a gift to society. And I will just say that it can be triggering because this is years and years of societal conditioning that we're talking about, stuff that I unlearned over 10 years. Nobody sets out in their, you know, Hello Kitty third grade journal, and they don't say, like, when I grow up, I want to be an expert in the gender division of labor. (laughs) That was not in my Hello Kitty journal. But what happened to me is very typical of the older millennial, younger Gen X women. We sort of got hit by this trifecta of Pinterest perfect parenting, a belief in having it all means doing it all, in addition to work being in our sort of patriarchal capitalist way, really, really difficult, where we don't necessarily recognize the beauty in celebrating people in their whole selves, right? We just expect them to be in a chair working their asses off 12 to 15 hours a day. So that trifecta is sort of the context in which my husband sent me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. (laughs) And I'm giving the context because that was a text that almost ended my marriage. So I get this text, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries from Seth. He's my husband. So he's still your husband, just to clarify. <laughs> he's still my husband. And so I got this text in 2011. We had two kids. As I was getting the text, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. I was already texting and driving. I had a breast pump and a diaper bag on the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back seat of my car. A client <laughs> contract in my lap because I had opted out of the traditional workforce. And now I never use the word opted out. I only use the word forced out. Mm. But I was forced forced out of the traditional workforce. And so I'd started my own law firm. As you so beautifully said, I'm a mediator for clients that look like the HBO show Succession. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, 
goodness. That could be a whole other podcast about. So I had a client contract in my lap and I had a pen in between my legs. I was also racing to get Zach at his toddler transition program. So in the midst of all that chaos, as I was racing to get Zach, I would hit the stop signs and this pen that was in between my legs from the contract would just stab me in the vagina. And so that's a <laughs> metaphor for being a working mother in America. What happened to me that day was... I pulled over and in LA, we don't take that lightly, you know, there's traffic. And so you don't pull over if you're already running late, but I had to, because I was just sobbing. I was mourning my marriage. I was mourning my identity. I was thinking to myself, how cliche my marriage is going to end over being the fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs. And not, yeah, not the, you know, the fair with the NFL player that I was sure my marriage is going to end over. Not over blueberries. Yeah. <laughs> and then really what I was thinking was, how did I get here? I didn't have the career marriage combo, not even close to what I thought I was going to have. And more importantly, I had become the default. I call in fair play the she fault for every single household and domestic task for my family. And yes, this can happen in LGBTQIA couples. And yes, 33% of my couples are not in the hetero cisgender. I still call it the she fault because at the end of the day, we have to recognize the world we live in, which is that women are the ones who hold two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family, mm-hmm. regardless of whether we work outside the home. So that was, the day that was the day that I started to unlearn and become woke finally to the fact that something was wrong. Something mm-hmm. was unfair. And I decided to put on my researcher hat, which I'm really good at and start to figure out what the hell was this? And I guess it, the good news is it turns out the she fault has a name. So yeah, I remember that story. And I remember how relatable that was. What's so interesting, again, is that we look now at the pandemic. I was actually talking to Jordan Shapiro, who we've had on the podcast. You know, his new book, Father Figure, is out and talking about feminist fathering. And we were talking about, has anything changed I don't know, but there's certainly a light on it. It's not really a spotlight yet. I feel like it's kind of like one of those bad fluorescent lights that you try to avoid that make you look 70 years older than you actually are in the like middle of the mall. I mean, there's a light on it now, but I don't know how shiny and how attention grabbing it is for people who aren't experiencing it. Like we're all nodding our heads, right? But are the people who need to listen and learn about this, are they getting that message now? Yeah, I talked about this New York Times article in some of our Facebook groups by Jessica Gross, which, by the way, you were quoted in. So I'm glad that you're here that we can talk about it. And it's called Why Women Do the Household Worrying. It's excellent for those of our listeners who haven't heard it yet. Let me just read the first paragraph. She wrote, the way I usually describe it in my own life is I can't make my husband start thinking about summer camp in January or when we're running out of refills for the soap dispensers which is apparently a common gripe. In other words, I can't export my brain to him. In most aspects of domestic work, we are fairly equal. I probably do more housework, he does more childcare, but we feel good about our balance, and yet the mental load is more on me. And that blew my mind. I was like, yes, absolutely. I have the constant mental checklist going, and my partner and I very evenly divided, but I'm still the one who's always thinking about it, and he's not. So what's going on there? Well, I think the sociologist Allison Damon who that article focuses on. It's an interview with her. Mm -hmm. Her study on cognitive labor came out the same week as Fair Play was debuted. And it was exactly the same (laughs) because I'm not a sociologist by trade, but I do now have 7,000 beta testers. (laughs) We're in the hundreds of thousands of purchases of books. So we know this idea of cognitive labor in my giant sociological study, even though I'm not a sociologist, is enough interview data to feel 
fill boxes and boxes of sociological studies, of course, we were going to come up with the same thing. And I'll tell you a little bit about what fair play really is all about. And it's not rocket science, but it is a way to alleviate that worrying. And it works. The first thing I'll say is that private lives are public issues. And the home presents really small. And that's why it's dangerous, because we think we're having a fight over the soap dispenser, which, like you said, is a common gripe, it sounds like. Well, she referenced a tweet where somebody said that they had moved out of their apartment after three years. And her husband said to her, isn't it amazing that the soap dispenser in the kitchen never ran out of soap all this time? (laughs) She was like, are you kidding me? Oh, my God. (laughs) It is the magical fairy of invisible work. And yes, you think you're fighting over the soap dispenser, but really there's a name. Uh, There's the second shift, which Arlie Hochschild coined in the 90s as the name for this. You may have heard emotional labor, which is also coined by Arlie Hochschild. By the way, the Second Ship podcast, we've had Catherine on our show a couple of times and she's phenomenal for those of you who haven't heard it yet. Yes, she's the best. Catherine Goldstein, the most amazing journalist. So help me get to the why. Like, why do women do this, what we call cognitive labor? Why do we do the worrying, the thinking, the planning, all the mental stuff, even if the household's chores are actually divided? Well, I think because we're not looking at it correctly and because we're conditioned. So let's talk about the why first, and then we'll talk about how you actually can transfer worry. Yes. I want to transfer the worry. (laughs) That is all fair play is about. It's a behavioral design system to transfer worry Mm -hmm. over. And like I said, it works. But I think it is important to understand the why. Why is it that we're worrying about the invisible work? Why is this unbalanced there in the first place? So as a society, we view and value men's time as if it's finite, like diamonds. And we treat and view women's time as if it's infinite, like sand. So that's mm-hmm. actually the why. That sounds very esoteric, but we know that we don't value women's time the same as men in the workplace because if women enter a male profession, the salaries automatically go down. As a society, we say ridiculous things like breastfeeding is free. <laughs> it's only free if you don't value my time, right? right and right. finally, the unlearning is a big part of getting to the who does what and the ability to transfer over the worry. And the unlearning comes with recognizing that we are all what I call C-I-Y-O-O, which is complicit in your own oppression. We're all complicit in our own oppression because we were raised in a culture that doesn't value our time. Mm -hmm. So I will ask your listeners if they've ever said one of these four things to themselves. If I asked you, why are you the one putting the soap dispenser in or picking the phone call up from your child if they're sick at school? If you've ever said to yourself, I do it because my husband, and again, we're centering a heterosexual gender right now, but my husband or my partner makes more money than me. Mm. You ever said you're doing it because your job is more flexible. Mm-hmm. You're doing it because you're a better multitasker or somehow you're wired differently for worrying and care. Mm. Have you ever said that in the time that it takes you to tell him, her, they what to do, you should do it yourself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one more that's my favorite, which is my friend who said, yes, we're both colorectal surgeons, but my husband is better at focusing on one task at a time and I can find the time. There's no way to find time. We're not Albert Einstein. We can't fuck with the space-time continuum. There's just a different expectation over how women are supposed to use their time. I want to add one more possible solution, though, which is that schools, for some reason, many schools, and I hear this from many, many, many parents all over the country, they do not add the dad's name into the contact list first, if at all. And so dads often are not getting even copied on those things, let alone contacted. Correct. 
And I actually called over 50 schools to ask them why. Why is it that you call women? Even in schools where you do have two parents in the database, why do you call women? And the answer was how I came up to this idea that we view men's time as diamonds. It was a version of we don't want to bother him or he won't pick up. It was an expectation that our time is infinite, that our time is worthless. Of course, we will pick up. And of course, there's no problem bothering us in the middle of our work day. It is a very cultural, this is not just men or women devaluing their own time. This is a societal problem. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in a neuroscientist's office that I end up quoting in Fair Play, asking him, you know, are women better multitaskers? Are somehow we wired differently for care and for worrying? And he just looked at me blankly saying, of course, there's no gendered difference in how we multitask or do any caregiving. There's no gender difference the brain. But more importantly, he looked at me and said, Eve, why are you asking me this? <laughs> I said, well, if you're telling me there's no difference in multitasking right. and I'm hearing women all over the world that they're better multitaskers or they're somehow wired differently for this worrying or to see the soap dispenser, then I need to debunk that. And then he looked at me and he said, I'm not sure I want to be part of that debunking because we men have convinced you women that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. Mm. What a doll he is. <laughs> a doll or just being honest. I mean, wow. his awareness, I think, is what's so shocking, right? And I wonder how many partners, how many men are aware of this, right? And women are sort of basking. And I want to talk just really briefly about that whole thing, because I feel like not only have we been conditioned to believe that we are somehow blessed by the goddesses in this ability to juggle 700,000 things, but we get rewarded for it. So like, I know so many women, I'll call myself out, right? And I'm like, I did this, 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 and this today. And people are like, oh my God, you're amazing. We are rewarding each other for multitasking versus single tasking. We are getting our backs padded, right? We feel empowered. And I just wonder, you talk about unlearning, pushing back against something, particularly for women when we're like, we're good at this. That's like really hard to do. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's why I said that this is unlearning and it's actually very triggering mm -hmm. for a lot of women yes. um, to hear this information. I cried in his office that day. I started crying on the spot and I was thinking, oh my God, I'm just further reinforcing stereotypes, sexist stereotypes of women crying in, in this you know, sort of white man's office. But it was so powerful what he said to me, this idea that somehow I thought I was being empowered in convincing myself I was better at wiping asses and doing dishes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That it never occurred to me because the other toxic time message was that Seth made more money than me. But now I look at it and I said, I can't believe that because he made more money than me, I assumed that I would be the one taking my kids to school for all times and starting my work day later. Uh, it makes no sense because actually what I realize now as the ghost of Christmas future for your <laughs> listener is that my job is more valuable than Seth's job. I work with clients to give their money away to, to society, whereas he is a private equity investor. And sure, it, like it's great that there's another beauty brand out there, but it's not going to change the world in the way that <laughs> if I could help people deploy money and access to justice could. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I have changed my view. But, but that's why I said the secret formula is boundary systems and communication, because I can't tell you about how to transfer over worry right. until you can right. set that boundary that your time is diamond. I read this book and I am listening to you and I feel unsettled, right? Like I'm hearing everything you're saying and 
I imagine listeners out there are like, holy shit. Like, I feel the ground a little bit underneath me, like moving, and I'm standing on, you know, bad carpet <laughs> in my closet. But, you know, I can see how you give a trigger warning, right? And when you're talking about this, you're so sensitive to how it's going to be received because it is unsettling when you think about how you've been functioning in your relationships or in your life. And that has been conditioning or whatever word we want to use. That is super, super unsettling. So can you talk about fair play? You created this system. I feel like it's so valuable. You talked about boundaries and communication, but this really works. And I think what's so great about it, it's so actionable, right? A lot of times we talk about these issues and it's like, just keep talking about them and, you know, something will happen, but you have a system that works. A hundred percent. This is a do no harm. It was developed alongside of Professor Darby Saxby and psychologists, but I'm not a psychologist, right? I like to say like, this is not about examining your past. You can do that as well, of course, ancillarily, but this is about actionable systems changes in your home that you can start implementing today. As long as we start recognizing that as a community of women, that the most important thing is setting that boundary to start to unpack and examine how important it is that we deserve equal time choice Mm -hmm. over how we use our 24 hours as our male counterparts. And I think that for me, that unlearning was really important to say, wait a second, Seth gets four hours after our kids go to bed to check sports center, finish a PowerPoint deck and work out. Whereas I'm feeling the soap dispenser, working on my kids' homework assignment for the next day and doing things in service of our home until my head hits the pillow at midnight. Mm -hmm. And so it was really Mm -hmm. an understanding that to fix this problem, I deserve as much time choice over how I use my day as Seth does. And that may mean he has less time choice over how he uses his day, right? And I'm not going to protect his time like diamonds. If he has to do more domestic labor and childcare so that I can get equal time choice, that was the boundary I was setting my relationship to stay. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm thinking a lot about the boundaries also coming from without and not just from within. You know, I keep thinking about the questions you asked. I I think they're all connective and it's kind of a big circular interconnected infinite loop slash vicious circle. I was thinking about the one, my job is more flexible than his. And I was thinking how, okay, maybe he's a surgeon and he literally can't leave in the middle of an operation. You know, there are some jobs in which, sure, you cannot drop everything and just walk out the door and get the kids. On the other hand, let's say I have a white collar job in office. My partner or husband has a white collar job in an office, I believe that the companies are more understanding of a woman saying, I have to drop everything and go get my kid. Well, we're already penalized for it. So you're right in a way. Um, Understanding meaning that we lose five to 10% of our wages for every child that's brought into the world. Mm. And so we're already being penalized for it. And so what men will often say to me is, well, my wife's already being penalized for this, as you've said. So I don't want to be penalized for it as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the political movement, the culture change of fair play. But yeah, we bleed for flexibility in America right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is not okay. Family responsibility discrimination is against the law in most states, but it is the reality for women. And it's also how we get in this vicious cycle. If I'm paid less or my job is more flexible, then I should be the one taking off the time to go pick up the kid when they're sick from school. And then women start losing economic security and economic power. Back to Ghost of Christmas Future, 53% of Americans get a divorce. And so the amount of women that I interviewed saying that they're also ghost of Christmas future because they had no idea how the flexibility or this perception of them taking on more domestic and childcare work would impact their entire lives later mm-hmm. is important mm-hmm. to talk about. And I do talk about that in Fair Play. I tell a story about a woman who gave up her career and her partner decided to leave her for someone else. And he said, well, I'm not going to support you in alimony 
continued forever. Like you need to get a job. And she said, well, I was in PR and communications for 20 years and I don't know how to get back into that. It's such a different world. And then she didn't get any alimony and she got very little child support. And so she ended up driving a Lyft and being a makeup representative and also getting a note from the court saying you have a duty to become self-sufficient within six months. I think a lot about centering women's economic security. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely an organizational system to transfer worry, but actually secretly, this is a political brainwashing to say that we should all care about our economic security and make sure that we all understand what our lives would look like if we are no longer married. I'm all for political brainwashing when it goes the way that I want it to. Same. And listen, there's so many issues covered here, yes. which is why everyone has to read Fair Play. And it's important. It's an important book. But I want to talk briefly about the system yeah. because I know you talk about it as a life management system that can help couples rebalance the work it takes to run a home and reimagine their relationship time and purpose. Can you tell us a little bit about the system you created? Yes. This came out of starting with the type A woman's solution to everything, which was making an Excel spreadsheet and recognizing that lists alone do not work. Um, this project 10 years ago started as the Shit I Do spreadsheet, which was 98 tabs sourced from women like you, Kristen and Liz, asking women what they do that may be invisible to their partners or kids. And I spent nine months crowdsourcing 98 tabs, 2,000 items of invisible work, all the way down to you know people I didn't even know started calling me saying things like, well, Eve, you, know, you, you forgot Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my we have gosh. very strong opinions, by the way, Uncle Mom talks about Elf on the Shelf, and they're not positive. No judgment. Just saying. One of the life management system TLDR is like, don't do Elf on the Shelf. But I will say this one woman says that, you know, I don't know you, but I want to just weigh it on your spreadsheet. In the shit I do, you forgot Elf on the Shelf. And I would say, nope, nope. You obviously don't know how to read Excel then. Like you got to power to the right and scroll all the way to tab 72. You'll see the tab magical beings. And if you scroll <laughs> yes! the item Tooth fairy. Yeah, no, and above lucky leprechaun, you will see Elf on the Shelf. So it got, it got that granular. Somebody said, well, you have sunscreen on here only two minutes, but what about 30 minutes for the chase? And I was like, oh yeah, 30 minutes for the chase. <laughs> it was the most wonderful experiment I ever did in my life because this happened before podcasts. It was before beautiful communities like the We Suite that I'm part of or mom communities like yours. 10 years, 11 years ago was so different. I will just say in fairness to Kristen, she had a podcast 15 years ago when I met <laughs> I did. Oh my God. Kristen, it's I okay. I found you then. It's okay. I did it on a landline, Eve. You don't want to listen to it. I think you'd rather pull your own ears off. I'm proud of you for <laughs> knowing that the future of audio was 15 years ago, but I didn't and I didn't have any support. So mm, for me, yeah. this group of women that I had gleaned from this should I do exercise was so powerful. And I was so proud of myself. And I sent it off to Seth, the 19 million megabyte spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, I used all my communication mediation skills and I say that sarcastically. I just sent it to him with a subject line. Can't wait to discuss. And I didn't even get the response that I will not any response I was hoping for, not even words. I got just the monkey emoji that's covering its eyes. <laughs> and actually that spreadsheet was doing even more harm. And that was, I had a woman, and again, you can't make this stuff up. She called me from the Jewish Federation of Arizona. And she said somehow she received the should I do spreadsheet from her friend. And she was just calling to let me know that she wasn't staying in her marriage. Ah. And I really, 
really yeah. learned that when you unleash a shitstorm without a solution, it actually can be less helpful than if you don't say anything at all sometimes. And so for me, it was saying to myself, okay, lists alone don't work. I can resign myself to continue to do it all and literally lose my identity in the process or my marriage. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. I could get my ass in gear and become my own client. And that's what I did. I asked the most important question I've ever asked in the past 10 years. And that was, what would it look like if we treated our homes as our most important organizations? That was the question I asked. Mm-hmm, I knew mm-hmm. that it would, and this is why fair play, this part becomes a love letter to men. So I'll drop my female anger now and put my organizational management hat on. I knew it wouldn't look the way it looks now, which is we are waiting to take the dog out, right? When it's about to take a piss on the rug, we're setting the table when we're hangry and we're cranky. My Aunt Marion's Mahjong group has more clearly defined expectations in the home. You don't bring snack <laughs> twice to the group. But the home, people couldn't tell me any clearly defined expectations. They kept saying both, both both. We both do this. We both do that. I was like, what is this? This is a complete efficiency nightmare. Um, And so from there, I asked the second most important question, which gets to the heart of the system. I asked this in 17 countries. How does mustard get in your refrigerator? The most important question I asked after what would happen if we treated our homes as our most important organizations was how does mustard get in your refrigerator? So here's what I heard in 17 countries for women married or partnered with men. Okay. My second son, Johnny, he loves French's yellow mustard on his protein. He won't eat his protein unless he has mustard. Otherwise he'll choke. It'll literally choke on it. That's the worrying, right? That's the noticing. And I know that from the workplace in organizational management, we call that conception. And actually you're paid well for in the workplace to come up with a new idea, a new product line. And then I would hear, oh yeah. And then I monitor the mustard for when it's running low and I get stakeholder buy-in for everything I need for the grocery list. They didn't actually say stakeholder (laughs) buy-in, but (laughs) I hear that from the organizational management lens. And I would say, oh, I know that phase that's planning. And then I would finally hear, oh yeah, and then I get my partner to go to the store to pick up the French's yellow mustard and he brings home spicy Dijon every fucking time, Eve. (laughs) And you want me to trust my husband with my living will? You're asking me to give up control? Well, um, excuse me, I can't even get him to bring home the right type of mustard. And that was it execution. And that is something that's easily fixable. Yes. Not easily if we go back to what we just did in this first half, right? We got to do a lot of conditioning and unlearning. But assuming that we were coming to this viewing and valuing our time as diamonds, that is easily fixable. Because what that is, is a classic organizational failure. And that's what I get paid big bucks to do. Like I said earlier for the HBO show Succession Families, I work with organizations that have lost accountability and trust. Mm -hmm. And that is what I was hearing. What I was hearing was not a mustard issue or blueberries issues we talked about before. I was hearing, I don't trust my partner to get the right type of mustard, so I should do it myself. I don't trust my partner to care about this, and so I don't have accountability nor trust in my relationship. This is what stuck out to me. I mean, I'm sure everyone who reads this, and everyone should read this. If you haven't figured it out in the last 20 minutes, you need to go read this, because they're organizational practices, and it was very easy to apply, right? Because you have a list of all these things. You have the person who's going to take it on. And then it's like, you don't even think about it, right? So, you know, if it's the laundry, you do everything that has to do with the laundry. You don't ask the other person about the laundry. You don't tell them to go pick up the dry cleaning. You hire someone, you get a task rabbit, like everything with that task is your responsibility, which is an organizational thing, which happens a lot in businesses and companies. And I'm sure it was a New York Times bestseller, Eve, so it clearly resonated with people. But like that just made so much sense, right? This idea of like, 
you do it, you take care of it, this is your baby, and I'm not involved. But I imagine, though, that there was some difficulty, and that's, I guess, putting it lightly, right, with this idea of people being afraid that things weren't still going to get done or that things weren't going to be done the way that they wanted them to get done. Well, that goes back to the cognitive labor issue, right? I mean, where you can say, hey, you get the mustard, this is tight, but I'm still thinking, did he get the mustard? Did he get the right kind? What if he didn't get the right kind? What's the backup plan? What am I going to serve my kid? What if he doesn't like, you know what I mean? Like, we're still thinking about it, even if we're not doing the work. And I think that's where it comes back. Right. To get rid of the worrying, you have to adopt an ownership mindset. Yep. It is the only way to do it. And I know it as we have thousands and thousands of couples that have transformed their homes, including my own. When I tell you that I don't even know how to worry anymore. I don't know how to do guilt and shame anymore. Right. And I wish I could give that 10 year journey earlier. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately Mm -hmm. why I chose right here. It should not take 10 years for women to step into their full power and to have to go through thinking they were going to leave their relationships over this. There is a lot of surprise, but the ownership mindset works. And what happens with it is you are the worrier. You're a chief worrier and that's the conception and planning. Mm-hmm. Execution, I don't give a shit. A monkey could do your execution, right? It doesn't matter, but that is how most men operate in the home. And it's harmful to men as well. Yes. An organization that works is what we just said. It's the ownership mindset. I do it for you. I give you the hundred tasks on our website, we have the conception, planning, execution of what it would take. The system is is laid out for you on a platter, right? It's just about understanding how it works. And then, of course, as we said, the, the secret formulas, the boundaries and the communication have to come in. But the system itself is the easy part. Yes. And I mean, there is so much more to this. And I really want people to get the book because I feel like this was something that I soaked myself in when I read it the first time. And I have to say that, yes, conceptually, it made sense. And the execution of it made sense, but it was all the sort of dealing with resentment and letting go of how things needed to be and empowering your partner to do those things. And you address all of that in the book. But I was going to ask you if you're working on a fair play part deux, like a pandemic edition, which I kind of had as a joke, but you actually are. You have a new book coming out. (laughs) I do. I do. And that gets to why. Why is this even important to start thinking about an ownership mindset to transfer over, redo your systems, think about how you want to communicate and value your time as diamonds. Because at the end of the day, I think what I want to gift all womankind is the permission to be unavailable and the permission to be unavailable from your roles as a parent, a partner, a professional, and to lean into the idea that we all deserve uninterrupted attention for things that we love. I am so excited about this. Permission to be unavailable. Like if you had asked me like 20 years ago, I'd have been like, huh? And now I'm like, that sounds so sexy. I love it. So it's called Find Your Unicorn Space. It's about the intersection of identity, happiness, and creativity. It's going to be out in January. And of course, Fair Play is available everywhere you get your books. Folks can find you at fairplaylife.com. You're on Instagram, Fair Play Life, as well as Eve Rodsky. And you're going to give us your cool picks of the week, right? You're going to stick around? Yes, of course. All right. So now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Eve, you're our guest. So you get to go first. Okay. I'm going to give two picks. Uh, A book I was reading for my research for the Find Your Unicorn Space is by Natalie Nixon, and it's called The Creativity Leap. It's a small book, and the same way that we give lots of practical tips and tricks for how to alleviate the worry, uh, get that worry out of your head and fair play, what Natalie Nixon does so beautifully in Creativity Leap is to start to spark your creativity through her 
framework of the combination of wonder and rigor. And it's a really beautiful book. And then I have come to find a new mascara that I really love. It's Thrive Cosmetics. Their black mascara is the best one I've found in 20 years. Oh, wow. I love it. Yes. I'm a mascara junkie, as our listeners know. I'm going to have to try that one. All right, Liz, you're up. Um, So actually, I have a tech tip for you all, which is fantastic. Speaking of trying to find like some balance in our lives, I would like to sleep more. And so I often fall asleep using like calm app sleep stories. Or lately, I found this like super chill spa playlist on uh, Apple Music that sounds like what I listen to if I ever get to go back to a spa again and always fall asleep on the massage table. <laughs> anyway, I listened to that, but I realized I was waking up in the middle of the night, like having to take out my AirPods because it was still playing. It turns out, I can't believe I never knew this, but on iOS, if you have an iPhone, you can actually go into your alarm set an alarm. So let's say you set an alarm for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. It's almost like a sleep timer like you do at a hotel. So you set the alarm so that when timer ends, instead of like play chime or play maracas, you can actually set it to stop playing so that you can fall asleep with music or, you know, a podcast or whatever you're listening to. And then it'll just shut off when the timer goes on. I love it. Oh my gosh. I'll write about it on Cool Mom Tech so that you can like follow the instructions. It's pretty easy. You can just find it in the alarm, but it's just saved me. It's so great. It's like one of those little things that just makes your quality of life a little better. So how about you, Kristen? What's your cool pick? So I just found out that Master of None is back. Um, Aziz Ansari's series season three. I mean, I'll be honest, he was canceled a little bit back a few years ago, if people remember. So I wasn't sure. I will say that was unfair without getting into a whole other thing. Yeah, it was, there was a thing that kind of happened. I love this show. I mean, I'll be honest, I maybe love Lita Waith a little more than Aziz, but this season is short. It's back. I blasted through it and it is, wow. I wouldn't call this a dramedy anymore. Like this was a deep, kind of heavy drama follows the relationship of Lena's character Denise and her wife on the show and it's very related to some of the stuff we're talking about today it is beautiful it is heart-wrenching it was a tough watch honestly but a worthy one so I was very surprised if you have watched season one and two of Master of None this is in my opinion a huge departure but a beautifully you know whoever the cinematographer was amazing Uh, the writing is amazing Anyway, I just, it it takes some time. Maybe this is your unicorn space. Turn on Master of None season three, hide away in your room. Make sure you have a box of tissues nearby and maybe like a pillow to cuddle. Oh, (laughs) thank you. That's good. You know, I can never have too many things in my Netflix queue. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Kristen. Yes. And thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks to our guest, Eve Rodsky, and to our amazing engineer, John Bowen. And hey, listen, if you've got a moment doesn't even need to be a unicorn space kind of moment like literally two seconds right Liz just leave us a five-star review do it right now clickety click (laughs) (laughs) we always appreciate your time and your comments and all of your support even like when you're sharing our stuff on Instagram and Twitter like we always see that and that's so nice and hopefully we always remember to thank you guys for that because yes it makes us feel very happy about what we do and it helps other listeners like you and other parents find us and maybe they will get something out of it as well speaking of which you can also join us in our spawned podcast community on Facebook where we chat about the show topics and pretty much anything you'd like to talk about. So you, listener, you specifically, I'm pointing right to you. (laughs) Yes, you. I love your shirt. First of all, you look great. Come join us in our podcast community and 
ask whatever question you'd like or share something with us or share an article with us or anything at all. It's just really nice to get to see all of you who we don't get to see through the magic of podcasting. Exactly. <laughs> it's not that magical. Well, on that note, thank you so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. 